Okay, everybody, can you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7? Yes. Matthew 7, we're going to read verses 15 through 20. In fact, I'm going to have help doing this. Curtis, can I ask you to stand and read real loud verses 15 to 20? Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Let's pray together. Jesus, your teaching is clear, and yet sometimes we find things difficult. Would you please increase our discernment that we would be able to recognize the fruit of someone's life, the fruit of someone's ministry, even the fruit of our own lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't walk with our heads in a fog but we would be led by the Holy Spirit of God and we would be um, those who can recognize fruit and know what to do about it. Lord, I pray for maturity for every one of us. May we grow into strong, wise, mature men and women of God that reflect you and that can carry your wisdom and your truth to the people around us that need it. Thank you for your word. Please teach us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are false prophets today, right? Have you ever met a false prophet? There are false prophets today. There are two true prophets today. There will continue to be true and false prophets. And so it's important that we be able to recognize them. And Jesus said it's by their fruit that you will know them. So a man's character might look good, but he might be teaching a doctrine that bears bad fruit in the lives of his hearers, or he may be teaching good doctrine, but the fruit of his life is rotten. We have a friend, he's a retired pastor. He taught solid Bible doctrine for many years behind the pulpit, but his everyday language was very crude. And what he laughed at was an embarrassment. So the fruit of his personal life did not reflect the purity of Jesus. So this is the kind of thing we're talking about. People might know how to teach the word, but if their own personal walk with the Lord, the way they speak, what they do, how they act, if that doesn't line up with the word, then you can know that there's something that's out of line there. It's out of alignment. And as the days get closer to the Lord's return, we're going to have more and more false teachers we're going to have more deceptions. We're going to have more deceiving doctrines. And we need to be able to recognize these things. We need to know the scriptures because this is the truth. And we need to know the fruit of people's lives so that we know who to trust with our lives or in relationship with them. If the Lord gives you discernment and you think to yourself, 
this person is off a little bit here. Do not think to yourself, well, I shouldn't judge. He's probably okay. I just probably don't understand the full picture. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't think that way. I can still fully entrust my life into his care or his ministry or his teaching. It could be that the Holy Spirit was giving you discernment to begin with and was saying, be careful of this person. <clears throat> be careful of this ministry. We're aware of a ministry that is, is always taking up money for Israel. They're very involved in Israel. But the ministry itself is not pure. They don't always use the money for what it's intended to be used for. And every time we see ads for that, that particular ministry, Reuben rolls his eyes. He says, there we go again. There we go again. They raise thousands and thousands of dollars. And we know that it's not all going for what they say it's going to go for. So uh, we need to be wise and discerning in, in this age. And that's what Jesus was speaking to. There are going to be people that come that look right, but there's, there's lies and deceptions that are part of their lives. There are people that are, sound right, but as you get to know them, you see some things that are off. So it's to our wisdom to know the Word and also be so in tune with the Spirit of God that we know when He says, that's not right, that's not right. If you've got a check about something, don't override your check. You know what I mean by check, huh? Okay. Stay, because that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit leads us. He leads us with peace and He leads us with checks. So you have a check about something, pull back and see if something proves itself first before you've committed your money or your time or even your life. All right, let's turn to John chapter 15. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 1 through 5, John 15, 1 through 5. So, Kevin, I'm going to ask, would you please stand and read that for us? It's helping me if y'all can read the verses for me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Good. Thank you. <clears throat> So bearing good fruit comes out of an intimate relationship with the Lord. As we abide in Jesus in close communion, we will draw strength from Him. We will draw life from Him. When our roots go deep into the, the Lord, then we receive life-giving nourishment, and we will bear fruit that resembles Him. Verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The old King James says he cuts off, he removes. And this is actually a bad translation of the word. The Greek word that's used there is arrow, A-I-R-O. And it, it means to take away or to lift up. And that's the better translation here. 
See, new vines on a, a, a grape, grape vines, the new vines have a tendency to trail down and grow along the ground. But they don't bear fruit down there. When the branches are on the ground, the leaves get coated in dust. And then when it rains, they turn muddy and they start producing mildew. The branch becomes sick and useless. And so the vine dresser walks through the vines with a bucket of water looking for these low-laying vines that are dirty and stuck and fruitless. He lifts them up. That's the phrase, arrow. He lifts them up and he washes them off. And then he wraps them around a trellis or he ties them up and pretty soon they will bear fruit. They will thrive. When we as God's branches fall into dirt, God doesn't cut us off and throw us away. He lifts us up. He washes the dirt off of us. He helps us flourish. Sin is the dirt that covers the small vine and the leaves where the light and the air can't get in. The, the sin prevents us from bearing good fruit. So what does God do? Does he just get rid of us? No, he intervenes. And he uses usually painful measures of discipline to bring us to a point of repentance because once we repent of the sin and we turn back to him, the pain goes away. He doesn't have to keep disciplining us. He's got us where he wants us, back in walking with him. His purpose is to cleanse us and free us from sin that we can live our lives for his glory. God expects us all to bear fruit. This isn't just for the pastors or leaders. We're all to be bearing fruit. John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever he asks the Father in my name, he will give to you. So he's chosen and ordained, and each one of us, he didn't just choose that table there and forget about the rest of us. He's chosen all of us that we go and bear fruit. So there's at least three areas of fruitfulness that should be in our lives as believers. First, the fruit of personal holiness, then the fruit of good works, and then the fruit of bringing others to salvation. <clears throat> I just want us to look again quickly at John 15. Look at verse 2. He says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. That's the word arrow, takes away. Look at verse 3. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. He washes us with the word of God. So you can see how it works together here. Okay, so the first area of fruitfulness is personal holiness. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's all say that together because you probably have it memorized. Okay, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. Very good. <clears throat> Amen. There's no law against those. We can do with them as much as we want. Ephesians 5, 9 says, The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So these traits are seen in the lives of those that spend time in God's presence. Because the more we're with the Lord, the more we start reflecting Him. Our words should communicate God's truth and love because we're filled with his truth and love. Let's go to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, we're going to read verses 33 to 37.
sorry. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Aslan, do you have that? Can you stand and read real loud for us? You're not shy, are you? Good. 12, uh, 33 to 37. Thank you. <clears throat> so our mouth speaks of what fills our hearts. Any contaminant within us will make its way out in our words, our attitudes, actions, reactions. So that means we need to walk in humility, righteously before God. We need to forgive quickly. <coughs> Sorry, hopefully I'm not going to cough too much. <clears throat> and we need to allow the Lord to heal the wounds in our souls that cause us to act like unregenerate men. You know what I'm talking about. You have wounds inside that have not been healed. Maybe there's now festering bitterness there. Maybe there are wounds of disappointment, wounds of anger, wounds of unforgiveness. <clears throat> and when people touch on those wounds, you erupt in carnal behavior or carnal words. And so that's why we don't just repent of sin, we also ask the Lord to heal the deep issues of our hearts so that we can have pure hearts and we can speak out of purity of heart. That's part of personal holiness. The root word is actually the same. The root word for being whole on the inside and being holy on the outside. So we need to be whole on the inside so we can walk in holiness on the outside. <clears throat> Let's go to Proverbs chapter 10. <clears throat> Look at verse 11. Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Is your mouth a well of life? Is there a deep well of living water within you that comes through your mouth? Verse 21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. The lips of the righteous feed many. Do your lips feed many? Are you worth listening to? See, the key to having valuable, life-giving conversations is determined by what we feed on. As we commune with the Lord throughout the day, our conversations with others will be strongly influenced by our life with God. We'll speak words that encourage, that refresh, that inspire, our words that draw attention to the Lord and will glorify Him. We need to be careful not to talk too much. We have a quote in your book by G.D. Watson. He wrote this book about a hundred years ago, Soul Food, and you can see by reading the quote that it's written with a lot of words we don't necessarily still use today. 
<clears throat> I just want to read part of the quote. Being talkative is utterly ruinous to deep spirituality. The very life of our spirit passes out in our speech, and hence all superfluous talk is a waste of the vital forces of the heart. Talking too much is one of the greatest hindrances to deep, solid union with God. So on one hand, when we do speak, we want it to be a well of living water. We want it to be words that speak life, that encourage, that refresh and inspire. But we don't want to speak too much. See, some people start out speaking by the Spirit. They end up speaking in the soul. They get into the flesh. You, you know it as well as I do. They start out with so much wisdom, so much kindness. You can tell the Spirit of God is leading what they're saying. And then as they continue to talk, pretty soon they're just kind of talking out of their own soul, their own heart, their own flesh. Proverbs ten nineteen. look at that verse, ten nineteen. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So if you speak too much, you can't help but sin. If you restrain your words, you're wise. There are times that we need to withdraw from others in order to quietly commune with the Lord. Engaging in the disciplines of solitude and silence to be with Jesus will result in greater holiness. So that's all under this one area of fruit bearing, the fruit of personal holiness. And one of the main keys of it is to make sure you have enough time with the Lord himself who is holy, 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 holy. And we're to be holy like him. So the more we can be with him, the more we'll start to reflect him. Second area of bearing fruit is good works. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, we're going to read verses 9 and 10. Shay, do you have that? Great, thank you. Do you notice that? Being fruitful in every good work. Every good work. Not just a couple of good works a week. Every opportunity you have to do a good work is what the Lord's looking for. If we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, then our, our lives, our works will be fruitful. But if our works are done in the flesh, they're not going to profit very much. We need to make sure that everything we do is birthed and energized by the Spirit of God. One way to do that is before you make a lot of plans, spend a lot of time in prayer, like the first of the year. Pray into your year. What does the Lord want you to accomplish this year? What is, is on His timetable for you this year? At the first of every month, Lord, what do you want to, me to do this month? What's in your plan for me this month? The first of every day. Lord, these are the things I think I'm doing today. What is it that you know I'm doing? Please speak to me and bathe your day in prayer. If you have taken on more than you can bathe in prayer, then you've taken on too much. Bathe your studies in prayer. Bathe your work in prayer. Bathe your relationships in prayer. 
pray at the first thing in the morning, pray at the end of the day, so that you've brought everything to a conclusion in prayer. This is all part of being led by the Spirit of God. This year I did something that I haven't done before. The beginning of the year, I had my calendar for the year, and for the first day of every month, I asked the Lord to give me a word for that month. And so I wrote down the word or the phrase he gave me for that month. And I did that through, I think I only got through the first four or five months because then I wasn't, I wasn't, as, I wasn't hearing as well. So I thought, okay, I, I know where I'm going and I'll pick it up again as the, as the year goes on. It's interesting to see how it pans out. When the Lord says, this is what I want you focusing on for this month, and you have no idea until you get to that month and you think, wow, that's right on, because he knows. So set your schedule with the Lord in prayer. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has destined all of us. He's created us to do good works. So there are specific works that God has for each one of us to do individually. Because we love Jesus, we want to bless the people around us. We want to do good works. We want to be moved with compassion for the needy. We want to alleviate their pain or their need. We are to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. This should be our, our normal way of operating. It should not be abnormal that we're quick to reach into our pocket and give money to someone in need. That should not be abnormal. It should be normal for us that we look for opportunities to give or to share or to minister to felt needs. I'll tell you something that happened here at Highland many years ago. It was when this was the church. They hadn't built the Life Center yet. And so we met here for church. And it was on either a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. And there were a number of people in the congregation that had needs. And the leaders knew that. And so what they did that night is they passed the uh, offering plate. And they said, okay, as the offering plate goes around, put in as much as you feel led to put in. And if you have a need, take out as much as you need. If you've got to buy groceries, if you have to pay rent, if your car's on empty, you know, take out what you need. And we'll just pass the offering plate around and we'll, we'll just trust that all the needs are going to be met. And you know, at the end of passing it around, there was money left in the offering plate and all the needs were met. Everyone took what they needed. And everyone gave more than they probably would have given because there was a spirit of generosity in the room that night. Isn't that neat? Wouldn't that be fun to do? All right, so Jesus said in John 15, 2, first he says, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, I'm going to lift it up. I'm going to wash it off. I'm going to brace it so it can thrive. But then he says, and every branch that does bear fruit, I'm going to prune it back so it can bear more fruit. If we are bearing fruit, At some point, God's going to prune us so that our fruit can be richer, better, higher quality. Pruning is often painful. How many of you have ever been pruned and you know it? Okay, most most of you. Great, this won't be foreign then. So one of the ways that it shows up is when you've been fruitful in some area of your life or ministry and God removes that, removes you from that area of service like the door closes 
to that opportunity to serve in that way. It could be that you've moved to a different city or a different church where your ministry or your gifts are not needed or recognized. Maybe it's a physical weakness or a disease that robs you of energy and the ability to serve. It could be that you need to stay home to take care of a child, a grandchild, an elderly parent, and so you can't do what you, you were able to do in the past. Those are some of the common ways of being pruned. It's painful because you've lost your ministry opportunities and to a degree your identity because unfortunately we do take some identity by what we do. And then suddenly you can't serve in that capacity anymore and you think, well, who am I and what am I any good for? I have a friend that was actively discipling for a number of years. She was counseling, biblical counseling. But for the last seven years, she has cared for her elderly mother at home. She longs to be back in active service. She talks about it frequently. She wants to be able to give and disciple and pray with people and counsel people. But she knows that this is where God has her right now, serving one elderly lady. And um, she says God is pruning her and refining her. And she hopes when she comes out of this that she's going to look a whole lot more like Jesus. And when he opens up a new door of ministry that she's going to be ready to walk into that. But this has been a long season, seven years of emptying a potty chair, helping with diapers. You know, that can get very old when you're used to discipling and seeing people grow in the Lord and praying people and seeing differences in their, in their lives. In the pruning season, though, our roots go deeper in Jesus because we're so desperate. And I see that in this lady. She's so desperate that she's always hearing preachers. She's always in the Word. She's, she texted me today. She said, we had another crisis. The lady fell today. And I've put on worship music, and that's soothing for both of us. And when you're being pruned, that's the thing to do, is let your roots go as deep into Jesus as you can and just feed on Him, feed on the Word, feed on worship, be in His presence, be in prayer. There's a sense of desperation. We press in desperately. We're separated to the Lord. We're no longer distracted by all of our areas of ministry. We are just separated to God himself. And this season, it, it can refocus us and it can move us into a different or a specialized area of ministry. God sometimes wants to narrow our ministries. He wants to trim back some of the areas of service in order to make room for the more specific works that he's called us to. He might move us from excessive work to have us work less, but with a richer and greater anointing. So if you're in a pruning season right now, you're not really bearing fruit that you can see. You might be bearing it, but you don't see it necessarily. Don't be discouraged or impatient. Use this time to seek the Lord and determine to be more firmly and deeply rooted in Him. Because once the next fruit-bearing season comes, you're going to be so busy bearing fruit, you're going to be glad for this time of your roots going very deeply into Jesus, learning to hear his voice, being led by the Spirit, being uh, just a much deeper place in God. And then the third one of fruit bearing is winning souls to Jesus. 
Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9. First Corinthians 9 verse 19 says, Though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Verse 22, he says, To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Paul so longed to share the gospel, he became whatever he needed to become in order to reach that particular people group. Do we feel that way about sharing the gospel? Are we willing to be put in uncomfortable situations or with other different kinds of people in order to share the gospel of Jesus? As believers, we should eagerly want others to know the Lord. When I was uh, 13, 14, 15, I was very involved in child evangelism. We took uh, guitars to Cameron Park, right over here, wherever it is. And uh, we would sit down with our guitars in our youth group, and we would sing, and then children would come around. And once we had a little crowd of kids, we'd share the gospel with them. And usually we led a number of them to the Lord. We found out where they lived, and we would plant a Bible club in their neighborhood. We already had people set up that that could do that. And so we would ask that particular person, okay, start a Bible club here, and so on. And so these children then would go to the Bible club every week, and they'd find out about the Bible and how to walk with Jesus, how to have a relationship with Him. So we had a whole system going. And every Saturday, we'd go out with our guitars, and we'd sing, we'd share the gospel, we'd meet families, we'd reach out to children, and then we'd get them plugged into Bible clubs all over town. It was an amazing season. And another thing we did in that same season is every Tuesday night, we had child evangelism outreach at our church. This, this is not Highland, it was another church I was attending here. And so my job was um, to teach the newcomer class. I loved that because it was everyone's first time to come, and I got to just share the gospel. And back then, we used flannel graph. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You young people? Okay, so I had a flannel graph. I had all the little things to stick on there, and I had my Bible, and I had the wordless book, and I'd get, you know, usually I'd have anywhere from six to eight little kids. It was their first time that week. And I would share the gospel with them, with the scripture, with the wordless book, with the flannel graph. Man, at the end, they always got saved. I got to lead kids to the Lord every week. It was so exciting. It was nothing I'd rather do. You know, I worked on weekends. I worked at McDonald's. I was raising money so I could go to college. So I worked on the weekends. But man, except not Saturday, because Saturday I had to be at the park. I worked Saturday night at McDonald's. So I had Tuesday night. I had Saturday morning at the park. It was so thrilling to see what God was doing in the lives of these kids. And then, uh, so I went on to university, and then I went to South Africa as a missionary. And there I began working with teenagers. They didn't have young people, youth pastors, anything like that back in that day. That was in 1981. So in the city where I moved to, there were five English churches. 
and none of them had a youth worker. So they all approached me and said, can you be our, our youth leader? And so I ended up working with the Methodists, but all the other kids came to the Methodist youth group. So I got to be with all the kids. And I had the opportunity, I was, I was there seven years until I married Reuben and then moved to Israel with him. But I had the opportunity to lead hundreds and hundreds of teenagers to the Lord. I spoke at their camps, I spoke at their retreats. I got to speak in a high school to address 1,200 young people all about the gospel. There were so many opportunities I had there, and it was so exciting to lead people to the Lord. If I could not lead someone to the Lord every week, I felt like I had a boring week. Because there is, there is nothing as thrilling as bringing someone into the kingdom of God. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? There's nothing that is so thrilling as that. If you've always been in the church, and you kind of gave your life to Jesus in the church, and you hang out with church people, and you've never gotten to witness to unbelievers and share the gospel with them, man, you're missing out. So I want to follow that by saying, any chance you get to be involved in an evangelism ministry, do it. Get involved in that ministry. I like what uh, Joy Inslee's doing now with the Arise ministry. They go to flea markets and they share the gospel there in the flea markets. They pray with people. They maybe give them tracts. I'm not sure if they do. All right, so even right now, she's with a group, and they're working with some addicts somewhere. You know, don't think you're too young to do any of this, and don't think you're too old to do any of this. You can still bear fruit for the rest of our lives. So work with children if you get a chance. Uh, be a volunteer with the youth ministry, even here. You know, kids get saved in our youth ministry here. Kids get saved in the children ministry here. So if you think, well, where, where would I even begin? Volunteer even here at Highland because kids get saved. There are wind kids, after school program, those kids are getting saved. So there's opportunities, just get involved. Don't stay in your comfortable nest of believers. You know, it's kind of like the rabbit hole Christians that get up in the morning and they run from rabbit hole to rabbit hole. They go from meeting to meeting. They have lunch with believing friends. They have dinner with believing friends. They visit with believing friends. And at the end of the day, they collapse into bed because they've been doing the work of the Lord all day. But actually, they haven't shared Jesus with anybody. And there's, there's too many of us like that. We need, to, we need to get to where the need is and where the hunger is. Um, pray for the revival that's going on right now at Baylor. Take an active part in whatever the Lord's doing in order to, to share his passion of seeing people get saved. Pray for the harvest. Pray for harvest workers. Be alert to opportunities to share Jesus with others. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of eternal life, and he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. 95% of believers in the West will never lead one person to Christ. 95% will never lead one person to Christ. Let's not let that be said of us. That's part of being fruitful. So we're to be fruitful in our personal holiness. We're to be fruitful in good works. But we're also to be fruitful in winning people to Jesus. 
If we stop at our own salvation and sanctification, then we've missed his heart and his purpose in coming for all who are condemned to hell and need eternal life. It's not about us. He did come for us, and we've received his salvation, but the buck doesn't stop here. We allow him to keep working on our lives so that we become more and more like Jesus, but we give it all away. He gave us salvation so we can share it with other people, not just keep it to ourselves. <coughs> so I, I didn't warn you, Beth, but would you mind just sharing a few minutes about the retreat you were at last weekend? See, now Beth walked right into an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, don't tell her to do I get to, because I got the pulpit. Uh, so she walked right into an opportunity where it ended up people got saved. So, Beth, just stand up and talk real loud. All right. As little or as much as you want. So, He wants you to record okay. it. Okay. He wants you to come forward. Yeah. Okay. Just talk um, so <clears throat> most of you know that um, um, over four and a half years ago, we lost our son um, to homicide. And so God has been, that was definitely a pruning period for us. But God has been giving both of us more opportunities um, as we have healed and moved, not on, but moved forward and let God sanctify us through our loss. Um, so he gave me an opportunity um, about three months ago. Someone called who is, was speaking at a, a retreat for women hurting mamas who have either lost adult children or have incarcerated children for very serious things um, or moms of addicts, um, those kind of things. So lots of mamas in a lot of pain. And so I was asked to come share my own story of grief and loss, but specifically tools that God has given me to not just survive, but to thrive. And so I had that opportunity March 10th through 14th. I was scared to death, Janet knows, just very nervous, but um, still knowing that that's what God um, wanted me to do. So got there, I was telling Janet earlier, it was so, so heavy and intense. It took me a week just to recover. Um, emotionally so um, but in that time there were about 50 women total there many many women recommitted their lives to the Lord that were already believers um, but had been struggling and four prayed to receive Christ for the very first time and I'll share this one of the gals precious lady contacted the director she said I saw this on Facebook I know I don't belong there I'm a lesbian um, she said, but my partner dumped me. I have a daughter. I just, I, and I don't want to live. I don't know what to do, but I saw this ad and would you let me come even though I know I don't belong? And Brenda said, girl, you belong. Come on. And we loved on her and prayed with her and just loved her, loved her, loved her. And so the last night, her arm was the first one in the air. She said, I want Jesus. And so I'm already seeing her life transformed, totally transformed. Her countenance is different. So anyway, that's really cool. There, you're right. There's nothing better than that, for sure. Thank you.